Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. For this week's outro, we're doing something a little bit different. We are interviewing Mr. Scott Caldwell of Rusty Guns Kennel, uh, the kennel that Jacob got his DK from. So, Scott, how are you doing, man? Uh, I'm old and tired and a little bit older this week. <laughs> I heard that, aren't we all? Jacob, how are you doing over there? Oh, uh, dude, I'm, I'm excited, man. Yeah. Fired, fired up, dude. Fired up. Yeah. <laughs> last week's been awesome. So we're going to talk about that in this episode. So, uh, but yeah, no, um, Scott, appreciate you coming on, dude. We've been kind of wanting to do this episode now for probably about a year or so. Um, of course, yeah, almost uh, since you, before you got your bumping. 
Oh yeah, I, I, I knew it was before I get the puppy because um, I remember us talking. Uh, so got Pepper back in. Uh, let's see, October this past October. I think we were talking about doing an episode this past February, so of uh, twenty twenty one. So yeah, it's been it's been a little while oh. since we were talking about, but excited to do this. Um, of course, any of our listeners recently, the last oh two months, three months, uh, has seen us uh, get more involved when it comes to upland hunting or just more work with our dogs. Um, of course, that's the reason why I got Pepper and the reason why Andrew got Boone. And uh, Scott, of course, you were a huge influence on me, uh, of course, when it came to not only making a decision on which breed I wanted to go with for uh, for my puppy, um, which is a Deutsch Kurtzar, which we'll talk a little bit about that in just a little bit, too. Um, but also yep. just a, a good influence when it comes to just that overall community for anyone that's in NABDA, uh, North American Versatile Hunting Dog right. Association, which we'll talk about a little bit in this episode as well. Um, but Scott, real quick to kind of kick us off, uh, I know you're driving on the road and everything, but can you talk to us a little bit about your background when it comes to, uh, you know, working with dogs and especially, you know, kind of breeding with the DKs and everything? Yeah. So, um, I'm that quintessential guy that got started in this and then went down the rabbit hole. Um, and meaning that, you know, I, uh, I did a preserve hunt. Oh, probably well over Almost 26 years ago, I did a preserve hunt. I watched some German shore hair pointers work. And um, although I was raised hunting and, and upland hunting and stuff like that in upstate New York, um, you know, watching these dogs work, we never worked pointing dogs uh, where I lived at. So watching these dogs work, watching them point, just the whole process in it, I was just enamored. I was just absolutely blown away. And of course, uh, you know, not unlike most people that when they when they have an experience like that, uh, I jumped in with both feet, uh, but unfortunately jumped in without a lot of thought process behind it. So I got you know my first German short hair pointer, uh, primarily from some field trial champion lines and stuff. And um, you know, although the dog was amazing at finding birds, uh, I quickly realized that through my reading and, and research of the breed, it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. You know, um, some of the older books and some of the older descriptions of what a German short hair should be was much more around the lines of your traditional, what we call our, our, our Deutschkurz hairs or our, our imported DK dogs and stuff. And I just wasn't seeing it with the dogs and stuff that I had. Um, Long story short, skip ahead, skip ahead. Um, you know, I went from training my own dog to helping some buddies train their dogs to eventually where it's led us to where we're at now, where we've got uh, well over 300 acres on a training facility that supports both uh, North American Versal Hunting Dog Association, NAFTA, as well as uh, the DKGNA or the Deutsche Kurzer Group of North America. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's just one of those things that it, it kind of got my blood and I, I went the other way with it. You know, I went a little bit on the crazy side. And uh, I think I gave Jacob the, the disclaimer when, when he picked up Pepper was, you know, it's, this is one of those things where once you get a dog, you get involved. And, and our disclaimer is, is that once you get your dog, we're no longer responsible for additional purchases of guns upland gear equipment training equipment birds 
RVs, more property, other dogs, and or your marital status because <laughs> you know it just has that way of affecting. It just has that way of affecting your life, and uh, I've seen it over the last twenty years. Yeah, and you're right about that because uh, you know everybody looks at. I feel like when someone is like looking at buying a puppy, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in this episode because one reason I wouldn't want to have you on is talking about versatile breeds and vers- these versatile uh, dog breeds. And for the applications right. for somebody like me and Andrew, who we like to do it all, you know, we want the opportunities to be able to go out right. there. You know, we're big time deer hunters, turkey hunters, but we want to be able to go out there and you know try to get on some, especially wild uh, quail that we have down here, or do some other upland hunting, or do a waterfowl hunt, or also be able to track you know wounded game. And you know, right. Pe- Pepper recovered her first deer. I think it's three and a half months old uh, when we had that yeah. was back in December. Yeah. And, and, uh, and in fact, when both you and Nick first contacted me and when you talked about it, that was one of your primary like concerns. That was one of your primary, like, this is why I would probably expect to do the dog, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I understand that completely. Yeah. And that, that's something that, you know, from our perspective of just being, you know, true outdoorsmen, like we like to do it all. It's not necessarily like, you know, you have dogs and I've heard, you know, Adair talk about this a ton of his podcasts on, on the Gundock Yourself podcast, which you've been on there countless times. I can't imagine how many times, you know, you've been on that show. Uh, but, you know, if it's not necessarily like a specialist. Like you've got like, you know, you got your retrievers, uh, you know, for a lot of waterfowl guys like the retrievers, which is great. But for somebody like me or Andrew, having a dog that can do a little bit of everything and do it all good, uh, especially with the right kind of training, gives me more opportunities to be able to go out in the field and use that dog throughout the whole season and chase different species and have to me a little bit more fun and also application for overall use. Um, and, and that's definitely like what these versatile breeds really kind of offer and something that you kind of specialize in as well. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, some people hear like a versatile breed, like what is your definition of a versatile breed dog and, and what does that mean uh, to you? Cause you do about everything with your dogs. Yeah. So, I mean, that, and that goes back to like when I first, when I first got my first dogs or first couple of dogs, as far as like what I read about what that breed was supposed to do versus what I was seeing with some of the U S lines and stuff like that. And that is, um, you know, if you look at NAVDA and the NAVDA definition of personal dog, it's, it's a dog that could perform equally well in, in the upland field as it could the, the, the duck water and then also possibly retrieve, bird game although now that doesn't put a lot of emphasis on the bird game side so that's kind of what led me more to um your your traditional import dogs and your dk dogs is because over in europe they they still utilize these dogs for recovery of game and and when i say recovery of game that could be a wild boar on a blood track that could be a roe deer on a blood track that could be a hare um, or a rabbit that could be you know upland game waterfowl whatever that may be but then also the dog's expected to to react and and act like a traditional you know a retriever so a retriever retriever's got to be steady in the blind steady on the edge of the water steady until you send them to go retrieve whatever it is. And then that dog's got to have enough presence of mind and determination to be able to go do that retreat. Um, you know, the blood trail, same thing, understanding, you know, switching tasks from, okay, I'm hunting a field for upland game versus being focused on this track and this trail and, and finding, you know, and recovering the game at the end of it. 
So that's kind of what led me down that path. And that, to me, that's the definition of a, a true versatile dog. A dog that you can take out in the morning, you know, hunt waterfowl until 9, 30, 10 o'clock, take that same dog out into the field and go hunt upland game or chase woodcock or snipe or anything along those lines. And then when your buddy calls you at, you know, 7.30 at night because he just shot a deer and he can't find it, take that same dog and go help blood trail and recover that deer. Um, you know, that's, to me, that's the true definition of versatile dog. It is, it, she's a jack of all trades, but not necessarily a master of, a master of, you know, master of them. But I mean, in all reality, when you look at some of these dogs, if they're bred right, they are absolutely the masters of it, you know. Um, I would put any one of my dogs up against a, a field trial lab any day of the week. You know, I would put any one of my dogs up against a tried and true blood trailing dog for, for whitetails any day of the week. So, you know, when it comes down to that versatility, I, I think that's really the definition of it is a dog that you feel confident in the field with that can do anything that you're doing or you're pursuing at that time. You know, whether it's the waterfowl, whether it's the upland, whether it's, you know, blood trailing for uh, wounded or, or uh, dispatched game as a whole. Yeah. See, Scott, you and Nick have said that several times. The thing about, you know, these versatile breeds, they're not necessarily like the master of any one thing. But, dude, I got to say, going to some of these NAVDA training days and just hanging out with you guys, guys who really care and, and really put a lot of effort into their dogs. I mean, they seem they seem pretty dang good at everything they do. I mean, I, I'm I've always been super <laughs> impressed with these dogs because uh, yeah. you know you kind of downplay it a little bit, but I'm like, man, you go out there and uh, and I mean, I don't know what more you can ask for from some of these dogs. I mean, I was super thrilled going out and watching a uh, uh, Lucy and Rachel on that woodcock hunt. I mean, maybe you know I'm I'm still pretty inexperienced at this. Maybe there's like better dogs out there, but I mean, heck, they went and they found game, pointed it, and we got to they held steady. We got to shoot a bunch of woodcock. I mean, it was fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, that's definitely what drew me to this whole scene was, you know, Nick, first of all, getting us interested in it. But I mean, pretty much exactly what you just described, where we're from, there, there's absolutely places where you can go and you can sit a beaver pond until 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning and shoot a couple wood ducks. And then on, on the walk back to the truck, there's rabbits, woodcock potentially, and quail that, that you can get on. Not saying there's huge numbers yeah. of any of those, but they are there and you can't find them. Um, and yeah. so, I mean, it just, it like, it fit. And I mean, it's so intriguing, especially also being able to go track, which just adds a whole other aspect to it. Right. And to me, it's, it's a true outdoorsman's dog. You know, traditionally, when you ask somebody that's a duck hunter, what kind of dog do you have? They're always going to say a lab or a, a lab variation, like a Chesapeake or something along those lines. Um, you know, if you're in South Carolina, obviously they're going to say a Boykin. Um, but, uh, you know, the, to me, that dog was bred with primarily without, you know, getting into some other, not ticking off too many people about saying that lads can upland hunt. They can, they can upland hunt. Um, and they can probably track deer, but I mean, lads are really kind of bred and known for one purpose. Go get it and bring it back. You know, um, and you look at your your blood trailing dogs, like your Teckles and some of your other blood trailing hounds and stuff like that. You couldn't take a blood trailing hound and go, you know, upland hunt, you know, easily, we'll say, or, or even go waterfowl hunt. 
You know, I mean, I think we've all seen, if you, if you search YouTube, you can see a bulldog retrieving a wood duck. You know, you, you can teach a dog any task, but it, it truly boils down to what they're genetically inherent ability to do. And, and to me, some of these versatile breeds, you know, uh, really have that capacity. And for me, I found that niche within the, the DKs or the Deutsch Cursors. You know, I, I just, I couldn't imagine myself without one, honestly. Yeah, and there's another aspect of dogs in general, whether it be, you know, a versatile breed, an upland breed, waterfowl, squirrel dogs, beagles. Uh, there's something about getting getting some people into hunting, or, or especially bringing like your kids into hunting, where that dog aspect uh, just adds like a whole other realm to it. Where you know you have like a relationship with that dog, or or you know people really connect with dogs, and you can take them out and and go on a hunt with them that's not so high pressure. Uh, so I mean that's just Kind of another thing that kind of drew me into it was stuff that, you know, I'm going to be able to do with Tiffany. Like, she'll come out and she'll rabbit hunt with me because there, there's dogs involved and she likes the dogs. She'll it, come out it, and she'll upland hunt. Yeah, it, it's the companionship piece of it. You know, I mean, humans are naturally drawn to the companionship that our dogs provide. And, and in all honesty, if you've got a dog that, you know, it, it's not a, a couch potato, not saying that, DKs can't be couch potatoes, but I mean, it's not like a rescue or a couch potato or something that doesn't have a purpose. If you guys enjoy the outdoors, why not have your companion with you? And oh yeah, by the way, help with it, with whatever process that you're going through. Oh yeah. Hey man, that's one thing about these, about these dogs that I love is, you know, like they, they don't have jobs. They don't have like other stuff they got going on. So it's like, anytime I want to go take Boone hunting, he's not going to say no. He's going to be like, let's go. Usually when I go hunting yeah. without him, he's really upset with me and he pouts, which is. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, don't take it personal. I, I can tell you there's more on one occasion. You know, we've got at the kennel here, we've got six, six core dogs. And you know, when I get out there in the kennel at four thirty, five o'clock in the morning and start loading up crates and guns and stuff like that, they're all losing their minds. And, and if they realize that they're not that chosen one that morning, oh my goodness, like they'll go through that entire day. They won't eat their breakfast. They won't eat their dinner. They'll almost take it on a personal level. Like, why did you pick that dog over me? Oh, you dude. Know, uh, to go do stuff. I'll come home and Boone will get under the bed and won't come out. And he like, won't look at me. Yeah. I'm like, dude, come on. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I can't yeah. take you. I was deer I, hunting I mean, today. I know. They see the gum leaves come out and the vest and stuff like that. And it's like, all right, go time. And then we're like, nah, buddy, kennel up. And they're like, oh, no, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. No, I'm supposed to be in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I felt bad for Boone because I took Pepper on uh, probably, I think, three or four rabbit hunts this year where she wasn't actively hunting, but I loaded her up, put her in the truck, drove her out there, kept her in the truck, would come back and let her out. Uh, but one thing I wanted to do anyways, so she did, she got to be around a lot of that gunfire too. And, you know, here's some of the beagles. I just didn't want her to mess around with those beagles. because some of those beagles are absolute savages. So, uh, but, but you know, we, I was doing that just to kind of get her out there. And then once the beagles were put up after the rabbit hunt, I'd get her out and kind of run her a little bit. And it was kind of cool. Cause it got her comfortable being in, you know, being in a audio stimulating environment where she's hearing people talking outside the truck. She's hearing, you know, a t you know, 10, 15, you know, beagles, you know, you know, bang, you know, in and around, you know, the truck where we're hunting at and then gunshots and all kind of stuff and then come back and then be able to let her out at her time and, you know, have some of that patience. But I felt bad because I'm like, Andrew, why don't you bring him Boone? He's like, oh, man, I just didn't want to put him in the truck. I'm like, what? But he can, he's going to be in the crate either at the house or he can be in the crate in the truck and then you can run him afterwards. Like, what yeah. do you, so it's one of the, one yeah. of the two. 
But uh, one thing I thought about, not to get too sidetracked, I wanted, I, I want to get to the point potentially this coming season, uh, working with Pepper and, and having her on heel while rabbit hunting and literally just keep her at right. my side just to actually retrieve rabbits after shooting them because that's like one of the biggest pains is you're shooting them in some of these briar thickets. You're trying to go run over there and grab it real quick uh, before the beagles get in there. I'm like, I'm just going to take Pepper with me next time and freaking, you know, have her with me, go retrieve the rabbit, bring the rabbit back for me, and I don't have to worry about it. Absolutely. I, I would, it, you know, the challenge, though, you're going to have is these dogs are bred to be able to, almost like a beagle, scent trail and chase and run and run hares and rabbits just as much as a beagle would. Now, they're not, the, the challenge is, is that they don't sound, when I say sound, they don't yelp or they don't, you know, bay kind of like a beagle does when it gets on scent. Um, but, you know, that's going to be a challenge is working your steadiness with her to be like, no, no, almost like duck hunting. No, you don't go until I send you to go, you know. So, but I think she'll she'll adjust very well. I don't have any, any doubt in that at all. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't, you know, part of, you know, some of what, has brought me around to wanting to do this, you know, and get a versatile dog along with uh, Andrew too, but especially specifically me was wanting to have a dog that I could deer trail or, you know, blood track with. Cause that was one of the first things you and me talked about, you know, a year and a half ago. Yep. If not farther, dude, how long it might've been two years ago now. I don't know. It's been a while yeah. from the first time we talked, cause I think the first time we talked between that and actually deciding on something was probably eight months or whatever. And then, you know, we had, yeah. we had, you know, everything going with Sonya and then, and then, uh, Calypso. So uh, yeah, it might've been almost two years, but having that kind of conversation of like, Hey, you know, I don't really know if I'm going to upland hunt. Cause to be honest, didn't really know anything about Woodcock. You know, Nick always, you know, Nick left that one off out of the table. He was always talking grouse. He's talking grouse <laughs> and he's talking ducks. And I'm like, Dude, well, we don't have grouse in Alabama. At least, you know, the, if there are any, they're in, right. you know, they're, they're not, you know, hunnable, you know, species, but I'm a season for them. Uh, and then he didn't, you know, tell me anything about Woodcock until like, I don't know, a year and a half ago, maybe. And now I'm like, dude, there's Woodcock yeah. everywhere. I'm like, okay, now, now, now I'm looking full circle. I'm like, okay, we can do some upland hunting down here along with trying to find some wild quail. Uh, and then also travel and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's really kind of changed my perspective, but not to get too sidetracked on this, but I want to talk more about, um, you know, the versatile breeds and everything. And just, uh, cause the whole point of this episode, I want to kind of put out there is if you are someone that's interested in like, Hey, you're looking at getting another dog and maybe you want a hunting dog. And I know a lot of guys go straight to the labs, which are great. But if you want to be able to do a lot more with a dog, especially potentially, uh, you know, more opportunities, especially from the upland side, especially like Woodcock down here in the deep South, uh, you know, one of these versatile breeds can be a huge, huge benefit for you. And also finding like the right breeder and start talking about, don't be like my brother. I'm going to, I'm going to bring him up. My brother and his fiance just bought a puppy and it's not, hunting dog at all it's a golden retriever from a non-hunting line uh but it was literally a spur of the moment they went from like oh i right. want a dog within 24 hours they found a breeder that had two different litters on the ground at the same time which i thought was kind of strange uh, especially because they were two right. weeks apart um and you know went and got a puppy like within like 40 48 hours and I'm like, and I put right. probably 18 months into making like before, like I was able to get my dog. So I was right. like, I was like, guys, and, and we collaborate with a few people or we, there's a few breeders that I would trust their lines and stuff. And, you know, we pointed you in the direction of a few people, you know, uh, and, and I would always question that if a breeder isn't willing to kind of help the potential individual with selection of their puppy then probably not the right breeder to be talking to in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And that was something that they ran into. And this is why I'm bringing this up is 
if you or someone's listening, like, hey, you know, I'm I'm now thinking of potentially getting a dog, you know, in the next coming year or whatever, uh, or maybe it's even longer than that. I, I want to get a dog. My advice now for people, and this is something I want to talk to you about, uh, Scott, is don't be in a huge rush just because someone has right. like a buddy of yours down the street, which nothing like might not be nothing wrong with the dog, but this is something that you know you're gonna have for the next 10, 12, 15 years of your life. Um, yep. and a huge companion. And also, you know, the episode, I think you and Nick did, I know Nick did it, but like the total expense of like a hunting dog, um, over like right. its lifetime and it's quite expensive. <laughs> um, yeah. so we yeah, don't talk about yeah, that. Yeah. We don't talk about that. We, yeah. Yeah. yeah spouse, those, those, spouse. Are the things, those are the things we don't share with our wives, like the total cost of ownership. We don't do that. Yes. Yeah, spouses <laughs> never know. Spouses never know that. Cause yeah, yeah. It, it was surprising. And actually when he broke it down, I'm like, that's actually pretty reasonable to how I thought about it when he, when they broke yeah. it down that episode. Um, but is the idea of like not being in a rush and truly doing your homework when trying to find, well, what's the best, what's going to be the best breed that fits you and your personality. And then also trying to work yep. through and talk to multiple different breeders because that's one reason why I came back to you, Scott, because I talked to, I think it was three other, uh, it was three other DK breeders. And I just like, I had a better connection with you. And also you were using your dogs and your bloodline that fit me. I felt like the best, uh, where everybody else right. was doing strictly, you know, upland hunting only one did upland and waterfowl, but the other the two of them were just upland hunting. Um, and then, right. uh, at least a majority of the time, and no tracking period for like any wounded game for any of those other breeders, which I'm not saying like you can't right. teach a dog to, to blood trail cause you can, but it's another thing when it comes from a line that that has been like a huge preference is like, Hey, this is something that I try to like, you know, highlight with my dogs and something that they kind of specialize right. in, but they still do everything else very, very well. And that's what helped me make my decision. So Scott, I mean, what is your take on if someone's trying, trying to, you know, they're opening up this conversation, they're talking to their spouse now, Hey, you know, I, I want another dog. First off, how do you work out breeds? Like, how do you figure out, like, based off somebody's personality? Like, do you tell them to go to a NAVDA training day to go see a bunch of different breeds? Like, what is your take on, like, yeah, trying to figure I mean, out what dog? Not on different than, like, what Nick's probably talked to you about before. And I know he took uh, you and Andrew to a NAVDA event and stuff like that. Is, is um, there, there are a lot of other breeds other than a DK that are, that are, I would say, equally versatile as. You know, a, a DK dog. Uh, you've got your Deutsch draw hairs, which are your your German or European version of the German wire hair. You've got some other dogs like your wire haired Vislas and, and a few others. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing is understanding one the the dog that you feel like would fit your personality. All these dogs have different quirks. We'll say. Um, not negative in any way, but there's just different, different dogs will fit a different lifestyle a little bit more. You know, um, I would not personally recommend a Deutsch draw hair for somebody that's never owned a dog or never trained a dog or never worked a dog before. Um, I wouldn't recommend a DK even to most people that haven't, you know, worked with a hunting line or, or been in the outdoors. It's, it's not necessarily the first dog to go jump into if you've never owned a dog before, simply because in all reality, it's not, it's not that the dog's hard to train. It's not that the dog is harder than most people. What it really boils down to is the dog's intelligence level and cognizant thinking level is way above what most people realize. And these dogs will play you like a fool in a heartbeat. 
The only fortunate, unfortunate part about that is generally that results in some pretty negative behavior on the dog on itself. These dogs, um, all these versatile breeds, especially some of the continental breeds or the European breeds, like we're talking about with the DKs and the DDs and stuff like that, the one thing that, that a new owner or a potential new owner needs to understand is that these dogs are bred to have a certain set of problem-solving skills. The problem-solving skills is uh, where things have got to kind of be very black and white with them, uh, and that includes, like, your being. And unfortunately, what happens is if, if it's not black and white or if it's not where it needs to be, then those dogs kind of make up their own mind and find their own constructive path, which often often leads into some very, I won't say destructive behavior, but not undesired behavior, you know, in the house and stuff. Um, and that doesn't mean necessarily that you've got to be, you know, uh, authoritarian and, and, you know, get crazy with the dog, but you do have to show the dog very clearly what is black and white because they will be like, okay, is this, is this what you want me to do? And if you're not clear on that, then they're going to say, okay, you know, and, and some people like, uh, you know, I've, I've heard Nick talk about, you know, how Pepper is, is like you said, is testing you a little bit. So, you know, you just got to be cognizant of that, is that you do have to have structure. And I think I talked to you, Jacob, about that even before you picked up your puppy is the, the structure of that puppy's life from the day you bring it home until, you know, the dog is fully trained and then even after that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's on that Nick you know, brought up to me after doing this training event at his house this past weekend. Um, and he, one thing Nick told me is like, cause you'd mentioned Scott just now that, you know, you probably wouldn't recommend like a DK or like a, a DD, um, to someone who is, you know, a totally new trainer that never worked with a hunting dog before, or like any kind of more that intensive training, just because like you said, like it's gonna be very black and white. There's no gray area. They'll try to find loopholes. And one thing I'll say about Pepper is she definitely does that. And it's like I've mentioned to uh, Nick about. It. I think I've told you too. Is like I seem like it seems like she has more personality than most people, uh, and, and the way she goes about doing things. And one thing that Nick explained to me uh, while I was up at his place this past weekend with Andrew is he, he says I, I'm you know he's like Jacob. I think she, you know she's gonna be an awesome hunting dog. But one thing I think you're gonna have issues with in the future is like working on her or like her being like uh, focusing on the obedience side of everything because he's like I can already see her at six and a half months old. She's testing you. And, you know, you're like, you know, repeating commands and, you know, I can see like it's her personality. She's testing you and that's going to make for not a difficult dog to work with in the future, but definitely something you're going to have to stay on top of. And that's the second I got yeah. home. That's the first thing we started working on. Uh, you know, there's no more repeating command. You know, if I have her attention, I say here and she doesn't make a you know step coming towards me or working towards me. There's some kind of correction. There's an ah, ah, and there's either, you know, me popping her in the butt or we're using e-call or something overlaying that, hey, you need to be able to come here or do whatever command we're working on, place, whatever, uh, which are just real simple commands the first time. And there's no like, hey, let me stand here and think about it. It's go do it. Uh, and she's, again, right. like it tremendously has changed just in the last, I mean, literally today. I mean, we worked on that uh, this morning for about an hour, came back in the house and then went back out this afternoon for about an hour again. And uh, from this, the morning training session to the afternoon training session completely changed too. Uh, which has been fantastic. So that's something I'm going to stay up on more so. Cause like you said, you know, especially with some of those dogs, like you've got to keep it more black and white. You can't be, you, you can't be, uh, um, I don't want to say, is oh, this, you, can't, you can't be what I call the countdown parent. Yes. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, these dogs have an intelligence level that if, if you say a command once and there's no consequence, 
and, and they don't listen and there's no consequence. And then you say it a second time and there's still no consequence. And then you're raising your voice and you're saying it a third and fourth time and then the consequence comes. Well, then they're just basically learning like, oh, okay, well, I don't have to listen to the first two or three times mom or dad says something. You know, it, it's they figure that out really, really quick. And some people call it testing or, you know, oh, they're testing me on it. Now, it's not that. They just, you know, most of these dogs like to operate within a certain structure of life with black, white, and gray. And for most of these dogs, if they can make their gray area, which is their happy area, bigger than their black and white area, they're going to do that, especially if they do it from a young age. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I fully understand. Which it's, again, it's, it's been great. Cause again, just kind of getting that worked out and again, working on that aspect of it has been, been fantastic, but I, I just want to kind of get over. So it's like, you know, there's a bunch of different breeds that are out there. Can, can you just, Scott, just to give people an idea, what are like some of the more common versatile, you know, breeds that are out there when it comes to most people's first time dogs? Uh, I'll tell you the, the you know, the, I know this will probably come up a little bit later in this segment, but like the, the German short hair pointer, um, AKA uh, the BK or the Deutsch Kurzhair, uh, and I'll explain the difference in here in a minute. Um, that's, that's, as of last year, it was listed as the ninth most popular dog, sporting dog in the U.S. So that's probably one of your most popular dogs. Um, your wire hairs, your German wire hairs, or your Deutsch straw hairs, predominantly, uh, probably second. You're seeing some other breeds. Uh, I won't say esoteric because they're not necessarily as esoteric as they used to be, but you're starting to see a lot of uh, wire-haired pointing griffons, which looks like a woolly mammoth or an English sheepdog that points and does all the same stuff. Um, what I've been really impressed with lately are some of the wire-haired pointing beastlas that have been coming out recently with some good bloodlines. Um, another dog that's really, I, I think it's a bad name, and but it really does need a unique owner is your poodle pointers. Um, and don't let the name poodle fool you because they're not associated with a, a standard or English standard poodle by any means, but your your poodle pointers are really popular in the versatile, in the versatile realm. Um, and then there's a lot of other breeds that, you know, if you look at the NAVDA website, I think there's about 37 breeds now that they recognize or they consider versatile breeds. But uh, when you're talking about doing some of the stuff that we're talking about doing, everything from the blood trailing to the fur game recovery to the upland to the waterfowl, um, you know, those, those are probably the top five. Um, you know, of course, you could look at Weimariners. You could look at um, some of the other breeds like Britneys uh, or French Britneys. Uh, there's some more esoteric breeds out there like the uh, the Cardi Spaniels and, and some of the other stuff that's out there, the Deutsch long hair, which is the German long hair pointers. Um, the, the challenge that you have there is the genetic pool or the genetic ability to breed good dogs in the U.S. just quite hasn't got there. So unless you're looking at an import dog from a reputable breeder in Europe, uh, you've really got to do your due diligence and research and, and stuff like that. Yeah, and what is your take on 
you know, of course, people can go to NAVDA training days and look at like a different, you know, a NAVDA chapter close to them and go to one of the training days and see a bunch of dogs, you know, in person and, and talk to some people. But what is your take on uh, just uh, breeders? And then we're going to get to the whole GSP DK conversation in just a second. Like when it comes to like, yeah. what, what, what are some things when it comes to if I'm, if I'm a, someone new and again, you told me this and actually, and Adair told me a lot about this, like some of those questions you're going to be asking when you're talking to it, when, you know, I, potential buyers can be talking to a breeder and some of those red flags that could come up when it comes to, you know, is this a breeder that, you know, I want to have this connection with, because it's not just you're getting a dog from them, but like a reputable breeder is going to be there. It's going to stand by you, answer questions in the future and also be able oh, to help you yeah, out. We're, we're, we're entering a marriage. I mean, that's, it's not just you with a commitment with that dog for, you know, 15, 16 years. You're it, the right breeder. You're entering a relationship with that individual, you know, um, it, it's just, it's just, uh, it, if that individual cares about his bloodlines and his dogs and the breed of dogs that he's breeding enough, you're basically entering a, a, a relationship with that person for the life of that dog. Um, you know, and Andrew, I didn't cut you out. The small months landers are also pretty popular as well. <laughs> so, yeah, um, he, he was over here frowning. God, Scott, you yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> hurt my feelings. Fun. <laughs> but the problem is, Andrew probably knows is, uh, you know, the Munsties are not as popular as the, the top five, as I said. And unfortunately, finding a good, reputable breeder that has, you know, a genetic uh, gene pool that's, that's, that has all the capabilities and stuff, it's tough. It's really tough in the U.S. Yeah, it's extremely um, difficult. It took me a really long time to find reputable breeders. And when you find those breeders, they have waiting lists. So it's not like, you know, yeah. hey, I'll I'll take a dog. It's like, okay, you're gonna get a dog a year and a half from now. Absolutely. To yep. after our second breeding or what? Like, you got to wait for them. Right. And so, you know, to get back to Jacob's thing is, I think some of the red flags. So, like, Jacob, you know this because we went through this with you. And even even though you came highly recommended from Nick and stuff, your breeder should be interviewing you just as much as you're interviewing the breeder. You know, your breeder should be asking you as many or if not more questions about why do you want this dog? Why do you want this breed? What's your intentions? What are you going to hunt? How are you going to do? Are you going to test? Are you not going to test? You know, that that's kind of a little bit of a testament to that breeder and how much they care about what they're doing, you know, genetically to improve the breed, as well as, you know, if it... it a good litmus, honestly, and we've talked about this a couple of times on Nick's podcast even is, you know, it, to me, you find the breeder that hunts and does things the way you do things. You know what I mean? If you find a breeder that is breeding dogs that supports not just his breeding program, but also hunts the way you hunt, uh, you know, conducts his, his lifestyle kind of very similar to how you want or you live your lifestyle or potentially want to live your lifestyle, that's probably a good start, you know. And then, you know, from there, obviously, like all the other red red flags, like, you know, uh, yeah, you want a puppy? The puppy's this much. What do you want? You know, um, it, you kind of want to stay away from things along those lines, you know. So, um, you know, it, it the selection of a breeder, man, that's probably one of the most important things you can do in that dog's life. Um, 
other than just, you know, making sure that you're training it and keeping it alive. You know, I mean, um, it, we have all heard the horror stories about the people that ran out there on Craigslist and bought the first dog off Craigslist for $500, you know, and it, really what it boils down to is, you know, if you sent me to Vegas and tell me, told me I had better than, you know, three to one odds to, on a blackjack table, I'd be like, hell yeah, let me go. And, and a good breeder, that's basically what you're doing is you're just kind of stacking the deck in your favor in order to get a good dog. There are a lot of breeders out there. There's a lot of new breeders out there that, you know, potentially you could get that one in 1000 puppy. That's just absolutely amazing. And what they do and, and fills all your requirements and needs. Uh, but are you going to take that chance? You know what I mean? Are, are you going to throw that thousand dollars down on the, on the roulette table, hoping that you hit, you know, double zeros in black, you know, uh, versus if, if somebody comes up to you and, and can show you what their program is and what they've been doing and, and how they support it and they hunt the way you hunt and they, they're going to be in it for the long game. In other words, you know, Jacob, I know you know this. Uh, I, I don't think there's probably more than about two or three weeks to go by without me contacting you and asking you how things are going. And if I don't contact you, I contact Nick, <laughs> you know, so uh, you know, that breeder should be involved in that puppy's progression and life and, and everything else from, you know, start to finish. House of Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spurmaster and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spurmaster call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com, use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's also one thing that I recommend for people too is like if if you can, if you are talking to some breeders, like always talk to multiple breeders. Like once you find out what breed you're wanting, yeah. and it's and also don't do this. Don't only go with a breeder because it's the closest one to you. That's just like yeah. a, that's a cop out. Like that, that's I a, drove to Wisconsin for mine. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, you know, Scott, you're over in North Carolina, um, but you know, don't go just because it's the closest one to you does not mean. I mean, that, that might be fine if that's you know if that's if you kind of simplify everything, but like try to find that breeder that does everything like you're talking about, Scott. You know, it they mimic when it's their hunting style, they mimic exactly what you want to do, and that's what they focus on with their dogs and those dogs fulfill those needs. But also making sure, you know, if you want to get down to the nitty gritty and looking at bloodlines and stuff like that too, it's got what you're looking for potentially. Because again, this is a it's an investment not only financially, which upfront is it's a financial investment, but it's a time investment after the fact. Right. Uh, because right. you know it's a commitment that you're giving to this dog that you're giving your effort that uh, this dog's not going to just go to waste. Um, which I, I hear right. it's funny enough. I hear about that more and more. I hear about like people like buying like some pretty like nice, like pretty good dogs, and you know whether they. 
you know, might take it to a pro trainer, but you know, for like three months, whatever they bring it home and they just don't do anything else with the dog. And the dog just kind of sits there and they go hunt a couple times a year. That dog that at the house the other day that, that we all went and looked at, um, Oh, Leroy, oh, Leroy, yeah, Brown. Oh, Leroy Brown. Yeah. <laughs> he had a GSP out front named Leroy Brown. Dude, that dog, that dog would heal like nobody's well, business. So we were standing there and yeah. this dog is like, you know, he's acting, acting right. And Jacob's like, Leroy heal. And that dog just runs over and heals perfectly. We're like, daggum. And so we're asking the realtor there. We're like, so they hunt this dog, and that—that's exactly what they said. Uh, you know, they got the pup, you know, back a couple years ago, and sent him off to a training camp for like three months, six months, or something like that. Came back and just never really hunted the dog. Well, I mean, and that's a part of the breeder that, honestly, you know, like I said, you know, selection of a breeder, that breeder should be involved in that dog's progression, and that breeder should be concerned about, you know, one, the questions that you're going to ask a potential client. Beforehand, like, hey, what are you doing with this dog and stuff? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna call Jacob out a little bit right now. Jacob, when are you testing Pepper and Nabda? So we are working through that right now. Uh, I just got notified. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, Scott, I've been on him. I have been on, on him about on. that. Let me, let, me, let me talk here. Let me talk here. Yeah. So I, 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 I was like, dude, Scott's I, gonna come down no, here and whoop yeah, you. Scott, you know, go, uh, I didn't think it was this competitive, to be honest, to get like a, in a spot. And what I was worried I've about, I've told him so many times. Listen, I don't want to talk about. It. I've told him that. Me and Nick have told him. He has, <laughs> no, he has no excuse. All right, listen, Scott, I'm, I got to drive to Iowa to test, but we're, we're getting it done. So <laughs> I found somebody. Right. They, they, they got openings. So we're gonna make it happen uh, this spring but uh i didn't think it was this competitive and this is another reason why i want to start an alabama nabda chapter because it is i mean okay first off i dropped the ball because i should have done it back in february when nick told me to do it and i didn't i didn't sign up then for her na test which is her natural abilities test for listeners they're like what the heck are they talking about these dogs these nabda dogs most of these breeders are all these breeders require if you're taking that dog and purchasing that dog that they run through it's nat- at least natural abilities. Is that, is that correct, Scott? Right. Yeah. So yeah, most, most responsible breeders will require the natural ability test, which is just pretty much just testing, you know, can the dog, I mean, well, actually, no, I'm not going to botch it. Scott, what is the, what is being tested or, or looked at during a natural <laughs> abilities test? So the natural ability test is for dogs up to 16 months old. Um, and although it is natural ability, there's, you still have to work with your dog in order to really do well in these tests. I don't, it, it's very rare that you see a dog that literally comes out of the box, has had no training, and then goes and conducts those tests and does, does well. So there's, there's a little bit of like, you know, when you talk about foundational stuff, like, you know, stuff that you're doing with Pepper, there's introduction to birds, there's introduction to gunfire, there's introduction to water and stuff like that. But the natural ability test involves three basic events. One of them is working and hunting in a field over over game. The dog's expected to show that it can search uh, adequately, independently, and ultimately uh, productive. In other words, pointing game. Um, then there's the water where the dog is expected to swim. Uh, they say swim on command, but what that command basically is, is you throw an object in the water, the dog's expected to immediately enter the water and show that it can swim. And then there's a tracking portion where they render a pheasant flightless by pulling some flight feathers from one side. They allow that bird to run through medium to high grass. And then you bring your, your dog or your puppy up and the judges evaluate how well that dog stays focused on that track. It's not called find the pheasant. If the dog never finds the bird, that's okay. But if the dog shows that it has desire and, and 
focus on that track, the dog's going to do well. And, and really, to me, the natural ability test and why a lot of breeders require the natural ability test is it, it's feedback to the breeder. So perfect example, the litter that we had before, Jacob's litter with Pepper, uh, we had 10 puppies in that test and that, in that litter. Uh, all 10 puppies tested, and um, eight out of the eight out of the 10 received a max score of 112 with a prize one. The other two puppies uh, received over 100 points and a prize two. So that, as a breeder, telling me I'm doing something right in my breeding program. If and conversely, if that test, if all 10 of those puppies tested, and I saw a vast majority of them have a low score in, we'll say, water or, or an affliction to getting into water and swimming. That, as a breeder, tells me, okay, I've got a water issue in my program somewhere. I need to find or change my my breeding program where I'm looking for something that is it's got a little more water drive to it um, or use of nose or tracking or any one of those events. If I see that there's a huge issue in one of those events across the vast majority of those puppies, then as a responsible breeder, I can adjust my breeding program in order to, you know, facilitate uh, a better breed or a better output for the breed of the dog that I'm producing. So that's what the natural ability test is, is to me as a breeder as, in a whole. Um, and that's why you see a lot of breeders like myself require that uh, for potential puppy owners. And that, that's another whole aspect. Like, you know, another thing about these dogs in these NAVDA, especially NAVDA bred, you know, or, or NAVDA line dogs is you're a lot of the, all these dogs are hunting lines. Um, you're not necessarily finding like, yeah. you know, house, not, not, well, what's the right word? Um, like a non hunting line. You're not going to have a non hunting line in NAVDA. So that's another thing to look for. Everybody talks about AKC and to me, AKC doesn't really mean a whole bunch of anything. Um, no. especially when it comes to like a hunting dog, like when we're talking right. versatile, versatile breeds here. So if you're going to find a versatile breed, make sure that that breeder is part of NAVDA. And to me, that might be one of the first red flags. You know, nothing against a breeder that's not part of NAVDA, say, you know, breeding, you know, GSPs. But if they are part of NAVDA, I, I would say that's a, that's a bigger standard than a non-NAVDA breeder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a little bit to the fact that, and in all honesty, I've seen a lot of great dogs come out of, you know, it, even Pepper. So. Uh, Pepper's mother has, has been in NAVDA. She's done NAVDA events. She does, hasn't done crazy exceptionally well in NAVDA events because she just doesn't test well. Uh, she does all the events. She does everything perfectly. And she did the German test absolutely phenomenally. Um, it, it's just one of those things where I'm not as concerned about uh, me as a breeder. I'm not as concerned about making sure that I've got a versatile champion before I breed them. But knowing that the dogs are being evaluated to a certain extent and knowing that the dogs come from, like you said, from a hunting line and the dogs are utilized uh, for those purposes, that, that's, a huge, that's a huge thing in my book. Absolutely. So d just while we're talking about this, so, of course, Pepper's uh, NHS has come up this spring that we're going to be doing. So got to get her ready for that. The one thing I've got to do for her that we haven't really done, she did on her own, kind of on accident. She tried to swim across my corner of a lake to get towards me when I was on a four wheeler on a, my uncle's hunting lease. And uh, I've got to do more water. I got to do an actual like official water intro with her uh, with some ducks, which we're going to work on the next couple of weeks. Um, 
but Scott, real quick, I'm just because I I know there's some listeners who message me about this. Can you just touch on what is the difference between a like American uh, GSB German Shorthaired Pointer versus a DK that you're going to be getting from you know say Germany or a, that German bloodline? So a GSP and a DK genetically are pretty much identical. Um, I mean, really all, and I'm probably going to get chastised for this. You might get a few emails. That's fine. The, the biggest difference between a DK or a Deutsch Kurtz hair and a German Shore hair pointer is um, a, a true DK dog is one that has been bred and approved to been bred through the German system as well as the parents and the progeny of that dog has been tested in the German system um, and approved through the breed warden for breeding. So um, you can't have, you could not take like a standard bred U.S. German short hair pointer and go do a German test and then that dog is qualified for German breeding or to be considered a DK dog. It has to show progeny at least three generations that those dogs have conducted all the German testing and have been approved through the German breed warden to be bred. Um, and, and that's really the long and long and short of it. The DD world's a little more stricter on that than the DKs are. Um, meaning that, you know, the, the DD guys are more, pure purebred in other words the dogs have to have come from germany have to have been within uh the bdd system have to have not been bred outside of the bdd bdd system so uh the dk's are a little more lenient meaning that if i wanted to i could take a dk male or female and breed it to a non-dk registered male or female and they don't pull all of my registrations and stuff like that for the other dog. The DD guys are very well uh, against that. And if you breed outside of the system, they pull the dog completely from the breed program and stuff. But the DK dogs, uh, essentially that's what it boils down to is that the DK dogs are dogs that have, have proven progeny and, you know, parents, grandparents, great grandparents that have both been tested and bred and approved within the German, German system. So you couldn't take, like, again, I'll repeat, you couldn't take, like, a standard bred U.S. AKC or NABDA German short hair pointer, show up to a DK test and say, I want to test my dog so I can breed qualify it. it you'll never be approved for breeding or that that litter would never be able to be approved for the registry within the DK system. Yeah, and I appreciate the clarification. Yeah, I just had people ask me about that. And I know there was one guy that I think you even got an email uh, chain going back and forth because I kept saying, you know, a DD or, or DK and the guy's like, why don't you just call it a, a GSB? And I'm like, well, you could if you wanted to. Uh, but anyways, um, and, and then, so just kind of as an overview of everything that we kind of talked about, you know, these versatile breeds are something that's, it's a huge advantage for just like the outdoorsman. And I think the title for this episode is probably gonna be like the outdoorsman's dog. Uh, talking about the, the versatile bread uh, or these versatile breeds, because again, you can do a little bit of everything with them and do it well with proper training and proper, you know, handlership. Um, but when it comes to like, what, what gets you kind of excited about, especially when, as, as a breeder, you know, working with handlers and, and working with some of your pups to kind of see that progression and, and see those lines kind of come to fruition and, and that kind of, you know, prove it testing Because again, you know, talking about your pups, you know, from that last litter, uh, before peppers, which was that Sally's Lily, uh, Sally's litter. 
Son- no, so the uh, son- uh, Sassy. Sassy. So we had Sassy was before Calypso's um, and Pepper's litter. Um, but to me, the the biggest satisfaction, you know, satisfaction is it, it, it. Honestly, I'll use you as a perfect example. You know, you hearing the stories of you taking Pepper out to a local game land and. Um, you know, you guys are around the trucks and all of a sudden she's disappearing and you're trying to get her back and she's running down this trail. And then all of a sudden you realize it is literally the back trail from somebody that shot a deer the night before, you know, and you couldn't pull her off of that. Um, it's, it's the, the satisfaction of hearing things like owners say, you know, this is the best dog I've ever owned. and, And I've done this with a dog or I've done that with a dog. Um, you know, we had an owner from sassy's litter who if you know fern you know he's he's posting pictures on instagram the dog's six and a half seven months old and retrieving geese out of a pond you know that 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 validates that i'm doing the right thing as a whole you know i mean that that's that's the whole reason i do what i'm doing is because i know i'm putting dogs in the hands of people that really appreciate not just, you know, the, the breed program that we're doing, but they really appreciate that dog's work and capability and stuff. So, you know, that, that's really what it boils down to in my book at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Scott, just to kind of get a point of wrapping this up, of course, you know, appreciate you coming on. We're going to have you on uh, again, definitely in the future, uh, maybe over a couple of different, uh, other topics. Um, yeah. but I hope this kind of gets people fired up, especially as, as we've talked more about upland hunting, especially woodcock recently over the last two, three months, because there's an opportunity down here to be able to do other things than just deer and turkey hunt. And I, again, I love deer hunting, but we have such a long deer season down here. It's nice to change it up and be able to go do something else throughout that fall and be able to experience, but also use that dog as a scouting tool as you're going hunting woodcock in thick, nasty hell holes on public land or private land, wherever you're also scouting for, you know, that big buck sign. Cause a lot of times you're finding that same right. kind of stuff, you find those rubs, scrapes, everything. Right. And I, and I was going to mention that. I mean, the, the bigger, you know, picture to probably most of your listeners and stuff is it's just another opportunity to get in the woods, you know, um, you know, referring back to both your podcast and Nick's podcast after you guys went woodcock hunting, and you guys are out there with your dogs enjoying the time, but both you and Andrew were like, man, I'm, I'm putting this mark on my onyx because holy crap, I, I am, I would have never found this deer sign if I wasn't out here with my dog right now, you know? And, uh, you know, hearing about things like, uh, you know, dogs of ours or yours that, you know, man, we'd have never found that deer if the dog hadn't, you know, we thought the deer ran down to the, uh, down to the Creek and, the dog stopped 80 yards sharp and made a hard right turn. And the deer was 40 yards to the left of where we were looking at. You know what I mean? That that's the rewarding piece to me. And I think a lot of your listeners probably ought to take that into account is yeah, you've got a dog you can go spend time in the woods with, which is really kind of what we all want to do anyway. You know, whether it's deer hunting, turkey hunting or upland hunting or duck hunting or whatever, it's just an opportunity to spend some time in the woods with, with a, a, a companion that's there for you. That's going to work for you regardless of the task. Yeah, absolutely. And that brought up a, you know, a, a good point. You know, that first deer track that we ever put pepper on, this is after doing some, just drags in the backyard with some deer legs and, you know, having her track on that was that deer. My uncle shot back in December and she, if it wasn't for her, we would never found that deer, at least not that day. Probably wouldn't after the buzzers got to it because, we kept thinking the deer when it crossed the creek kept going straight up this hill 
And instead, it ran 40 yards down the logging road that paralleled the creek back towards where my uncle was at and then went, you know, nine degrees up onto the top of that ridge. And Pepper was down there messing around with it. She kept running up that side of the hill. And she's three and a half months old. I mean, little puppy. I mean, she weighed, you know, probably 22 pounds. Uh, and <laughs> she's just like looking over at me and she's, you know, looking over at me. And I kept trying to bring her back over there uh, to where we were at. And then I decided to walk down there and there's blood right there on the logging trail. And then I watch where she's up. She's, you know, 15 yards up in the woods and I can see the blood trail going up there and she's just kind of following it. And I'm like, this is pretty freaking cool. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we found yeah. the deer very, very short after that. Uh, but it's stuff like that. It's like that, that shows that, you know, just with a, a little introduction, this is with her, a little introduction at the house with a, just a couple of deer and some deer legs that, you know, she got out there, you know, from the time we found first blood to the, the found, time we found the deer, she was constantly head to the ground smelling. And that was one thing I was very impressed with was again, just, you know, her ability to want to track that had, like you said, right. that had the focus to track at that young of an age. And now even more so it's, just, it's pretty awesome. She's a little animal. I mean, she, she's, <laughs> she's a monster, dude. <laughs> she's, she's got it in her head. She knows what to do and she's going to show you what she wants to do. It's your, it's your job now to kind of curve that into what you want her to do. That's all. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of cool. I mean, I told Nick today on the phone, I think, um, you know, you sent me a couple of those initial videos of her tracking in your backyard and stuff. And I, I was like the proud Papa, you know, watching that, that little, literally, like you said, I don't even think she was 17 weeks or so old and she followed that, that drag where you drag that deer leg through the backyard and over kayaks and everything else. And she, she, once she got on it and focused, she ran all the way to it and picked it up and brought it back to you. And I'm like, Jesus, Grimmy, you know how many hundreds of people in NAVDA would kill for a dog at that age to have that much focus on a track and, and complete it and, and not be distracted and stuff like that. And, you know, then the stories, like I said, of, uh, you know, the, the whole thing where you guys were in the parking lot and back trailing to where the, you know, somebody else had shot a deer and stuff. That just, again, it just lends a lot of validity to we're doing the right thing in our program for breeding and stuff like that. And, and, uh, really proud and happy that you got one of our dogs, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, again, it's, it's, it's my pleasure again, uh, just appreciation to be able to have one. Cause again, to get a dog from a reputable breeder, it's not like, Hey, you know, someone calls it's not, you. It's not very transactional. Well, yeah, yeah. It's not like, hey, yeah. you know, call Scott up and hook him with a puppy. It's not like that at all, dude. I mean, uh, yeah. it's, it's, uh, you know, for any reputable breeder, especially right now, I mean, there is a waiting list for most people. Or it's like, hey, we're planning something out in the future, which brings me up real quick, Scott, because uh, we're getting to the point again, kind of wrapping this episode up. Are, are y'all planning any future litters anytime soon right now? <laughs> you say that. Sonia just came into heat about three days ago, and we are breeding her with a very nice DK male out of Pennsylvania owned by um, Jim Deppens. Uh, the dog came out of Germany, was up for going to the Clemens test last year prior to COVID. And, of course, everybody knows the COVID issues and stuff, and they ended up canceling Clemens, and and uh, Jim was not able to attend it. But, um, yeah, we've got a Sonia litter. Um, coming up uh if she's bred here in the next you know, i'll say 10 days or so 
Uh, that litter will probably hit the ground sometime around the beginning of June with puppies ready to go home sometime around the beginning of August. And, uh, you know, we've got a few people on the list already, but we haven't, you know, how we do what we do. I mean, we take only a few deposits up, up front and then we start building our list of potential clients. And uh, until we know how many puppies we're actually dealing with and, and how and stuff like that, you know, then we'll start kind of you know, going through the, the vetting process and finding the, finding the right homes for them and stuff. And, you know, I think we do a pretty good job. We do a weekly Facebook live session so that, you know, potential puppy owners, cause we, we do, we get a lot of people that aren't local, you know, and, and, you know, it, sometimes for some people, it's really hard to pick out a puppy, you know, online or just from a few photos and stuff. So we do a weekly online live session with the puppies and, and kind of show their progress from, you know, cradle to when you guys pick them up basically. So you see your puppy develop and you see your puppy change color and you see your puppies, uh, you know, attitude and demeanor well before you actually come here and get a chance to kind of look at them and stuff. So, and, and like you, you know, this Jacob, you know, we really try to match the puppy to the environment that they're going to. So, you know, we're, we, we've got the, the luxury of that we're with these puppies from, from day one until the day they go home and we keep pretty good tabs on them. We know kind of individual demeanor and attitudes and, and personalities and stuff like that. And we try to match the best, best that we can, uh, you know, puppy to owners and, you know, and, and go down that road. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's exciting with Sonia. Uh, definitely because originally that was the uh, it was a Sonia litter I was looking at, and then we kind of right. had some stuff change, and then uh, got a litter from uh, Calypso, which again, you know, extremely excited uh, with everything we're doing with Pepper. But I'll say this for any listeners that potentially wants a DK and wants a primo DK, uh, Scott. I mean, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you to potentially be you know vetted for a potential uh, you know puppy buyer you know, what would that process look like and how would they need to get in touch with you? Well, I'm going to give you Kylie's email only because, you know, our recent Facebook woes and some hacking and stuff like that. But, uh, you can contact us, uh, through Kylie and her email is Kylie.Googans and I'll spell that out. K Y L E Y dot Googans G O O G I N S at gmail.com. We do have a Instagram which is Rusty Guns Kennel DK on the Instagram. Of course, I'll, I'll throw Kylie's phone number out there. That might be easier too. 910-514-6059. Um, but yeah, I mean, the vetting process is basically, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a conversation between me and the potential client you know, or, or Kylie and a potential client. And it's going to be, you know, What's your aspirations for the dog? What do you want to do with the dog? What do you do in your daily basis? Kind of what's your living situation? What's, uh, you know, are you prepared to test the dog? Because we do have the testing requirement and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, we look at it from there. And, and really what it boils down to is if we all meet up on the same vibe, great. Let's see what we can do to help you out. If it's not, then we can maybe point you in the right direction of somebody that can help you, you know? Yep, absolutely. Well, that's that's exciting. So we'll, we'll link uh, Scott's info in the show notes as well, so people can head down there and, and hit the show notes to find that stuff. Yeah, yep. and, y- and y'all's website too. So uh, yeah, that's awesome. Well, Scott, also I'm just gonna let you know right now, 
um, who we're going to be doing um, Pepper or where we're going to be doing Pepper's uh, NA test. It's with the uh, Coastal Plains chapter. So we're going to be up there in North Carolina. That's April 23rd and 4th. Um, So they've got some openings and uh, the guy got back to me today. um, So I got to get her registered tomorrow, get all that sent out and uh, we'll be, we'll be good to go, man. So Super, Good super deal. excited. We'll, we'll, we'll probably see you there because I'm sure we'll be there in one capacity or another, either running dogs or volunteering or something along those lines. Oh, man, I don't need that kind of pressure with you guys there. God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, oh, God. All right. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm joking, Scott. I, I, I'm still trying to get Andrew switched over. I know he's got a, a, a nice little Munstie over there, but I, I kind of want him to be like, you know, geez, man, I should have went the DK route because I know he was wishy-washy there for a while. Scott, I'm not going to lie. I had a talk with Tiffany the other day. I was like, I think our next dog's going to be a DK. Like, yeah. I really do. I'm not just saying that because you're on, but dude, I really like Pepper, man. Uh, she's she's awesome. So, yeah, I might yeah. I might have to buy a dog from you here in like uh, three or four years. I don't know. We'll see. That's fine. Just just let me know when. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny. Munsties are, and I told Nick this when he told me you were you were set on a Munstie and stuff. I said, man, I hope he finds the right one because it's so it, it, not that they're a bad dog at all. It, and it's not banging any of the Munsties in the U.S., but the, the gene pool is just so shallow. You know, it's just so hard to find the right one. And even sometimes with finding the right one or finding what you potentially think is a good bloodline or a good, a good pairing. It's still kind of a little bit of a crapshoot in the U S they've gotten a lot better. They're really working hard in order to, you know, produce some really nice dogs. And I've seen some really nice Munsties, uh, come out of the U S but it is still, it's still very juvenile if that makes sense in, in their breeding program right now. Oh yeah. And that, and that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier too, about how difficult it can be to get one just cause, uh, I mean, they're getting a lot more popular and they are, uh, man, it, it was, it was tough to find a breeder. I mean, there, there's a lot of breeders out there that have been around for a while that everyone kind of knows about, but they didn't really have any right. pairings that worked for me. And so I kind of had to go out and I mean, man, it, it was, it was very difficult to find, uh, to find what I was wanting. And I was kind of a little bit jealous because Jacob, you know, Nick's like, Hey dude, check out Scott. And Jacob's like, sweet. All right. I'll take one. <laughs> y'all talk. <laughs> it's, it was so quick for y'all, man. I had to call all these folks. And well, you say that there were some still vetting stuff I had to do. Cause I like, I, you know, Scott put me in touch with some other guys and I, I found like another uh, two breeders on, on my own. And uh, you know, again, there's not no one breeder is, the same as somebody else, you know, they all have different protocols, different right. breeding standards is what they like to do and see in their dogs. And that's the reason why you need to talk to a bunch of people. You figure that stuff out. Also, one thing that I, I'll mention that is starting to come more of importance for me and not to get too sidetracked on this, but is like, uh, the hip testing with like the deep, with like yeah. the, uh, the German system. I yeah. greatly appreciate that because, you know, in a lot of lines, especially like non hunting, there's out nabbed and everything, or even like the German system, like there's not a whole bunch of breeders I know that are doing like, you know, hip testing on certain dogs before they're, you know, yeah. pairing breedings to make sure that hip dysplasia is not going to be an issue coming up. Yeah. And, and that's uh, honestly, it, it's scary with some of the U S lines. I'm not going to pick out any one kennel or anything along those lines, but you know, you know how many dogs we train in a year and it's very unfortunate. Like I've had, 
quite a few clients uh, here actually pretty recently within probably the last six months. You know, they bring me their dog and the dog's great. The dog's a good dog, has a great demeanor and everything else. But then when you look at that dog confirmationally and the the issues I'm already starting to see in the dog at like 18 months to just over two years old, and I'm like having that conversation being a, a I'll say a pro trainer. I hate that, that nomenclature, but I mean, being a pro trainer and having to look at these people that this is their first sporting breed dog or their first versatile dog and having, you know, to have that conversation with them and tell them, Hey, look, you're going to have to watch that, you know, potentially by the time this dog is eight, nine years old, it's not going to be able to do what you expect it to do, you know, and and stuff like that. It's kind of heartbreaking as a whole. So, I mean, you know, I knew where I wanted to go with the breed and it really didn't get solidified with me until I actually had the opportunity to move to Germany and deal with German breeders and, and, and get involved more along the lines as far as why these individuals require all this stuff that it really kind of hit home because, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, my early days of starting to do this, I got enamored with, AKC titles and, and certain NAV titles and, and, you know, acronyms after a dog's name, as opposed to paying attention to, you know, all the key things that, what makes this dog, why, why was this dog produced in the first place? You know, and, and I think that's why we ended up doing a lot of the, uh, why we went the DK route in our breeding program as a whole. Absolutely. Well, well, Scott, uh, just want to say, I appreciate you spending some time with us this evening and, and, and kind of discussing all this again, it gets me more excited because we've got a lot of training to do. I mean, this is just the very beginning for both me and Andrew, but, uh, we, we have gone from getting dogs to like this past weekend was a pivotal moment for pepper. Like without a doubt, and we'll, we'll probably talk about next week's episode, uh, next week's outro, go in more detail about how everything played out. But, uh, you know, I was able to see her point for the first time from just doing a couple of flashpoints, you know, like Saturday, Sunday, doing the kind of the same thing. And then, uh, Monday, I mean, just sticking one. And I mean, just held, I walked all the way up to it and I was more in shock and awe and impressed with this, her holding the point. I didn't even care about walking up and flushing the freaking bird. So then she finally right. broke, broke point, you know, flushed the bird and then caught the bird because the bird couldn't fly super well. And, uh, but it was just, again, crazy to see from a dog. I have not seen point yet to the matter of three days. She's holding a point all the way from, I could walk up from, you know, 10 yards behind her all the way up next to her, still look at her. And then she break point and then, you know, go after the bird. Like it was just, it was too freaking awesome. So I highly recommend, well, you know, you know, listeners, guys, if you want to have a, you know, a, a different, more well-rounded experience in the, in the outdoors, definitely look at some kind of versatile breed, whether, you know, you are yep. looking like at a DK or uh, one of the other German lines or just, you know, any other of the versatile breeds, look at it for real, because it gives you more opportunity to be out in the woods, spend more time out there, still be able to focus on your deer and turkey and be able to scout, but get a totally yep. different experience and appreciation that you probably have never even realized. Yep. And, and I'll, I'll caveat this is that you got to remember, Jacob, what you started that dog to do. You never introduced a dog, a bird to that dog until probably what, when you guys went woodcock hunting with Nick, your, your first introduction to that dog was, Hey, I want you to put your nose to the ground, track this, go find it. And when you find it, you know, pick it up and bring it back to me. So that was, you taught her from square one, when you smell something you like, go find it and, and bring it back. You know? Uh, so your first thing with her was the tracking aspect. So, um, you know, don't just, don't get discouraged. Like if, you know, she's, 
what going on almost nine months old now. Oh no, she's uh she'll be seven months old at the end of this month. Yep. So so you know the fact that she's just catching on to like what birds are, you know, it's like I told Nick, all you gotta do is just show her what to do and then show her what's right and wrong. She's she's gonna pick it up quick. Don't worry about that. Absolutely, that's exciting, but. Uh, you know, it, it's gonna be an exciting spring. You know, we we went from doing all this to now me and Andrew talking about building a, a quail flight pen. Uh, try to buy a bunch of hatchling <laughs> quail, and then uh, also trying to get a pigeon escalated pigeon very quickly. Oh yeah, dude, we're talking about. We well, Andrew bought pigeon traps. Or well, that'd be for a future episode. But pigeon traps. This is, this is a perfect time to remind you, Rusty Guns Kennel is not responsible <laughs> for additional purchases of. <laughs> we're, we're about to drop like five hundred bucks on quail. <laughs> like you're buy yeah. a whole bunch of them, build a flight pen. It's it, it's spiraling out of control very quickly. Yep, it, it can. It gets in your blood, like I said. Yep, but. So. Awesome. Well, Scott, again, appreciate you coming on for this week's episode. Uh, again, you know, guys, if y'all are interested, you can go to, I know it's rustygunkennels.com is the website. Yep. Click the show notes below. You can go, uh, again, get some contact information uh, for Scott and Kylie. And if you have any questions about whether it's, you know, their Sonia breeding or just, you know, any dog questions in general, I know Scott's, you know, you're a huge wealth of knowledge and, and more than willing to talk to somebody, you or Kylie both, Absolutely. Uh, when it comes to, you know, working somebody through, you know, what is their best option and kind of moving forward? absolutely it, it doesn't matter whether they buy me a, you know buy a dog from me or somebody else it's like i told you it's like i just want to make sure that the the match is right you know help somebody find the right dog for them Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.